and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the Remnant Call. I am your host, Brother Frank. God bless you and thank you so much for being here with us uh, tonight, tomorrow, or wherever and whenever you may be listening to this show. The Remnant Call goes worldwide and we are so thankful for our listening audience and the support that they give us. And I just want to say a special thanks for last week. Um, Last week was a difficult show. I was... um, Sharing a part of it about the death of my best friend um, growing up. We hadn't been a part of each other's life much over the last um, 20 years since my conversion. Um, we, he stayed on the old path, and and I found a new path in Jesus. And But uh, the toll was tough, and the outpour of love um, from you guys, uh, just thank you. It means a lot. Um. You know, sometimes it's you. You know, sometimes you tell people you're praying for them, and maybe you don't always hear back that word of thanks. But a lot of times, you don't have any idea just how much that means to somebody. What it means to actually tell somebody that you care for them, that you're praying for them. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. You know, sometimes it seems like it's cliche, but you know what? Um. People appreciate it. They really do. And I want to say I really appreciate it. And I thank God for everybody in life that's not going through the same thing I'm going through. Because it's those people often that give us the best advice. Sometimes we look and say, well, you don't understand what it's like to go through something or go through what I'm going through. And I'm thankful that they're not going through the same thing that I'm going through because misery tends to love company. And it's those voices outside of that mess that can speak sometimes extremely clear, practical advice to us. So God bless each one of you for the, and for the encouraging words. Folks, we got to encourage each other. We got we to gotta help one another. Um, you know, my wife and I, we work a lot with the homeless. It's a passion of mine and hers and, um, and our, even our children are into it, you know, and, um, because of my life of addiction, drug addiction and everything. And, and I talk to the homeless and when we're there and I've got them all together, I, I often share with them. They like to fight. Sometimes they're in close quarters. We try to put them up into warm areas during the coldest months of the year. And it, they get frustrated and, and they're very particular over their things. They don't have much. They like to keep them. They do have, and I don't blame them. And, um, they like to bicker sometimes among themselves, but I often remind them that they are each other's family and to take care of one another. And for many of the homeless out there, it's the other homeless who take care of one another. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see grace and mercy, if you want to see the kindness of God, you ought to see sometimes how the homeless take care of one another. 
They really go all out. They, they'll do things for people. They have nothing, yet they will help somebody out. And it's just a lesson to us who have so much that Christ gave everything, gave up the throne, gave up that place in the kingdom that he was at before he came here to come and save wretches like us. Well, tonight we're going to have on here shortly a very special guest, one that's a, a favorite of the program, Brother Benjamin Baruch. We we love having him on here because Benjamin often offers tremendous insights into the show, and um, he's going to be on here in a moment to share a little bit about Passover and about his new book. And, you know, I listen to shows and often, you know, and there seems like one book advertisement after another, and it's like, oh, can y'all ever do anything else? But every once in a while, something comes along that's just so powerful that that book must be read. And if you, of course, have never read The Day of the Lord, that is a must-read. And also, Benjamin's Search the Scriptures series. And you can just start at the beginning, and you will be blessed. And you're going to want to share it, I guarantee you, with somebody else. And so God bless each one of you for that and um, for that have helped support. You know, interesting, Benjamin publishes his own stuff. He doesn't make profit. He just does it to get the word out. And uh, so he's not in the money-making business from books. He simply shares just to get the word that Jesus is coming. This is the hour. This is the time. And we need to get serious with God. And I'm going to share a little something here. Turn with me to Second uh, Kings chapter 4. Um, I want to read just a few verses while Brother Benjamin's coming on the program here. And it starts in verse 1, and it goes like this. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and that the creditors is come to take him unto my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And he said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt uh, pour out into all the vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought out the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her sons, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children on the rest. Folks, I share this because this is a powerful few verses in the scripture. And as we're leading into tonight's program, I wanted to share this with you because I believe this will enrich your life in the Lord. So here's a woman, quickly, I'm going to summarize. She's broken. She's got a debt she can't pay. We all have a debt we can't pay. The creditors come to collect her children. And so she has nothing. What does she do? She runs to Elisha. Elisha was God's representative at that time. She was like she was running to God. She was through his prophet Elijah. She was running, and she's asked, you know, what, a, what you know, tells him the situation. And he says, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to go in and grab the empty pots that you have. She didn't have much. She just had a little tiny bit, right? 
And so he said, go grab empty pots, take them out, get as many as you can from your neighbors, not a few, but as many as you can. And I want you to go in, shut the door and begin to pour out. And that's what she did. And when she went in and she shut the door and she began to pour out, the oil began to flow. And it wasn't until the last pot came that the oil stopped. When she asked her sons, is there any more? She said, no, that, that, that's it. And the oil stopped. And he says, go out and I want you to sell that and live on the rest. And so basically, if you look at the story closely, we all have a debt we can't pay. But instead of God requiring our children, he sends his only begotten son. And and so every person, no matter what situation is, they have a small measure. She had a little bit, a little tiny bit of oil. Everybody has a small measure of faith. And so he says, I want you to go out, get some empty vessels, and then go into your house and shut your door and then begin to pour out. Now, the condition for the oil to begin to flow was that she got alone and shut the door. See, if we don't get into our prayer closets, if we don't shut the door and get alone with the Lord, the oil will not flow. You see, a lot of times we want to grow in Christ. We want to grow in the Lord. We want to become somebody in Jesus. But when we don't spend alone time, the oil doesn't flow. We all know the oil represents the Spirit of God. And so she says, I want you to – Elisha says to her, I want you to pour out. And so as long as they kept bringing empty vessels, that oil kept flowing. See, as long as you spend that alone time with the Lord, but then you've got to share with empty vessels. You have to outreach and tell people what is going on. Warn them. Share with them. Jesus is coming again. This is the last day. This is the time we need to prepare. And as long as you continue to find empty vessels, as long as you continue to share the word of God, the oil will begin to flow. But when you stop sharing, the oil will stop. The amazing thing at the end of this was when the scholars looked at it, they realized that not only did she have enough oil to pay her debt, but they le believed it was enough for her to live on for the rest of their life and her family. See, not only is the sacrifice of Christ good enough to pay your debt, but it's enough to sustain you for the lifetime. Folks, God bless you. I'm going to bring on Brother Benjamin. He's now on the line with us. So, Brother Benjamin, glad to have you on the Remnant Call tonight. Thank you, Frank. Good to be back. Hey, For God sure. bless you, brother. God bless you. Hey, thank you. Well, I'm excited. You know, I kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit that your new book is, you know, that you've been working on some stuff. And um, so... <laughs> Benjamin, I, I guess I, it's hard for me to contain myself, being that I've been a person who's, um, well, I started out reading the Day of the Lord in 1999, the beginning of the year, and just a few months later in March, uh, actually it was a few weeks later, probably after I started reading it, the Lord radically saved my life. So yes, I'm a little partial to Benjamin's stuff, but when you come from pretty much living with the devil to getting born again after reading a book and God doing some amazing things and you see the power that the Lord can do in life, yeah, you kind of tend to get a little biased. So, Brother Benjamin, I am so excited to hear about what you are about to share with the audience, what's coming down the pike. Do you want to start out with a little bit of that? And, Brother, actually, if you could lead us in some prayer first and, and jump in and, man, share what's going on. We're, we want to hear about it tonight. <laughs> well, praise God, Brother. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it as well. Um, hold on one sec. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing here. Um, 
Wow. Brother, it's just been so amazing. I mean, things have just been... All I can say is there's a lot going on. But yeah, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Thank you for salvation and that your mercy and your love and your grace continue and they are everlasting. Lord, you are for us and you are not against us. and You've come to bless your people. So I pray, Lord, tonight a word of truth would come out that would be a blessing and an encouragement to many and that we would be blessed in this Passover season in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. God bless you. So, Frank, Benjamin, great, yeah. great Go ahead. Sorry, intro. go ahead. No, no, I'm just I'm complimenting you on your great introduction. Well, brother, hey, listen, this is, this is a, we are, we're getting ready to come into the highest time of the year, uh, you know, besides the, obviously the day of the atonement, which was considered the highest, but the Passover sacrifice brother, without it, we would, none of us would be here and the power to pay a penalty, not only back then, but 2000 years later, we're living on that sacrifice, brother. And, um, it's powerful. And boy, when that oil begins to flow, the Lord, I think the Lord wants to, like, uncork the bottle and just let it flow in these last days. This is the time. And, um, but we got to get alone with God. we got to get alone with Him. Yeah, amen. I apologize if there's some background static on the line. I have been on the road um, traveling for almost two weeks and literally just got back. And, brother, it's amazing. I mean... You know, something's up, Frank. I don't know if you're if you're experiencing it the way I am, but boy, the times they are changing, aren't they? And yes, I'm rejoicing because it, it's a good change for the remnant. And you know, when is the Passover? I mean, you know, the certainly the Passover was a was a day, or or I guess you could also call it a night, really because it was the night of the Passover where all the action went down. And, uh, you know, the world changed. For the people of God, the Passover marked a change. And in reality, in the kingdom of God, the events of Passover, including the, the, the cross of Jesus, they marked the, the dividing line of eternity where God forever changed the spiritual reality of his people, because he stood in the gap for us, Frank. He stood in the gap for us, and he took our judgment. And, you know, I don't think that any of us can really fully appreciate, I mean, we, we can't even touch what God did on that day. We can't touch it. Yeah. I mean, we can we can peek into it, but but we really don't see. Amen. So yes, praise God, brother. I have been just 
burning the candle. You would not even imagine the intensity of the last seven days. It's you know, and it's been fun. I really like I really like working hard, and uh, you know, I've had my fun of uh, extreme work. And I've also been working hard on the book, and we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. But I really want to start with the Passover, and this is his Passover. He is our salvation, and, you know, we all need to hear from him. So, Lord, speak tonight. Bless tonight. Lord, bring forth a word of deliverance and redemption tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Praise God, brother. So, yeah, let's... um. Let's start with the Passover. You know, Frank, it's interesting because the Passover occurred on uh, the 14th day of Nisan, the new month on the spiritual calendar. And uh, this particular year, uh, based on the alignment of the days, the Passover is, is tomorrow night. It begins tomorrow night at sundown, and, and it goes through all day. Saturday, but in the in the actual year in which Jesus was delivered for our up for our sins, and, and in which he was he became the Passover Lamb, and he was sacrificed for the covering of our iniquity. I believe the the Passover day was Thursday. Is, does that seem correct? I mean, I'm not remembering clearly. And I know the scholars, they argue about virtually everything, and I know there's absolutely no agreement about that as well. You know, some argue he, Good Friday was the day that he died. Others, uh, you know, others holding to a literal view that the Lord was in the grave for three and a half days argue that the day of his death for us was Thursday. But when we are commemorating his, his Passover sacrifice in this window of time. And, you know, when you consider what the Lord has actually done for each one of us, taking our very judgment, standing in our place, going to, you know, being condemned to death on account of us, and that it was our King who did this. I mean, it's incredible that anybody would die for another, I mean, who would offer to take the place on death row for for someone who was guilty, as charged? And yet, you know, this is an innocent man who came forward, and and when it came time for the gallows to fall, he's the one who stood forward and said, "No, I'm going to take your place. This is going to pass over your life, and it's going to fall on me." You know, what do you? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier today, Frank. What, what do, what do we do? In response, you know, what do we say? You know, what is the appropriate response for the people of God? You know, I mean, to say thank you to the Lord is almost like, you know, I don't even know what to think. You know, it's so inadequate. You know, what do you do for a king who died for you? What do we do? You know, read his book. You know, find a little time to study our Bible. You know, and maybe go to church. You know, for a, an hour on Saturday or Sunday. 
find a little time to pray. What do we do for the God that died for me and you, you know? And when I think of what the Lord did for us, Frank, he did everything. He, he paid everything. He paid with his own flesh, with his own blood. Amen. You know, and what what is righteous and true is that we should do anything and everything that we can for the Lord. God really does deserve our first fruits, and He really does deserve all of our love, all of our strength, all of our heart, all of our mind should be consecrated to the Lord. About you know, we live in this fallen world in which the nations worship all these other gods and. And we're constantly being bombarded by the idolatry of this age. And, you know, and, and so, so many people have been distracted and not even realizing that they're chasing after other gods. When our lives should be lived, you know, we would be dead if it wasn't for the Lord, right? I mean, spiritually dead, you know, actually, you know, Many of us can say, as, as I would testify, I would be literally dead by now. You know, my life would have ended had the Lord not intervened. I would already be in the grave, and I'd already be in hell had Jesus not intervened to save me. And, you know, Frank, I think you probably, you probably would bear witness to the same. Am I right, brother? Brother, there's no doubt about that. So what, you know, what is, what do you do for a friend who died for you? You know, fight him over for Thanksgiving dinner every year, right? Okay, that's a good start. What do we do for the God that died for us? That's a real big question. I, um, you know, I don't know the answer. I mean, every one of us, we have to answer for that question for ourselves. But I'll tell you one thing. I think that, um, for the most part, we have not done enough. We have not yet done enough as a thank you for the Lord, because He deserves so much more from the people that He died for. Hallelujah. You know, and um, Frank, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this really cool book. I picked it up at the airport. And it's on mental toughness. Now, that, that might not seem particularly relevant to the Passover, but it's on how to discipline and to train yourself in a, in a similar fashion to how an Olympic athlete trains, that you would be ready to run the race that matters for you. And, you know, the focus of the book is really, you know, business and, and you know, and, and the race for the service of mammon. But I'm reading the book, you know, and in my heart and in my view is the race for the crown of glory. When, the, you know, Paul said, run the race to win. You know, and the book is all about training yourself to run to win. And um, I'm going to share, you know, maybe if time permits tonight, I'll share a little bit. But I was, I was actually planning on sharing some of the pearls of wisdom because they absolutely have kingdom application on what we can do to train and to discipline ourselves that we would be effective, more effective as the people of God and that we could do a better job for the Lord. And 
You know, that's my that's my heart's desire. I mean, what am I going to do for the king that died for me? You know, well, well Frank, I want to do more than I've done up to Amen. this point. Amen. You know what I mean? Really, when it comes down to it, it's our rightful duty to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Because if you think about it, brother, on this Passover night, he was our servant. You know, and I mean, it's just amazing when you think about it. You know, the, the Lord in, you know, let's just turn to the word here for a moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus said to, to his disciples, with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until all be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know, the Lord desired to share the Passover meal. And he knew after the Passover meal, after the, the feast of Passover, the Passover Seder, which is, you know, the order of events, he knew he was going to be condemned and that he was to die. And, you know, if you think about it, it is a tradition, you know, and I think it's in almost every culture, that a condemned man is given a final meal. Right, Frank? If you're on death row and yes, you've sir. been condemned and, you know, and, you know today is the day you're going to die before you are killed, you know, as a final act of mercy, the condemned are given one final meal. And, you know, when you think about it, Jesus had been condemned. Now, the, the judgment had not been given by men. Pontius Pilate had not yet given the order to crucify him. You know, the, the mock trial of the Sanhedrin and the accusations of the high priests and of the Pharisees had not been formally entered in the court of the temple, but in heaven... Before heaven's throne, the Lamb had already been appointed to be slain. So Jesus knew the outcome that would occur on the earth because the judgment had already been rendered in the heavens. And, you know, and, and in the judgment that was given to Jesus, in the, literally the condemnation that he took upon himself, it was our judgment. I mean, if you think about it, in the court of heaven, God was looking at you. And then he turned to judgment and he said, and he turned to Jesus and he said, and you will die in their place. And the Lord accepted willingly our place on death row that night. And so the Passover Seder was his final meal. And he invites us to share this meal every year and to remember this was Jesus' last meal before he was executed in our place and you know the more you are in touch with your feelings the more you're you're centered in your heart it just breaks your heart to think of what the lord went through you know in our knowledge of good and evil you know we can say yeah no, that's that's great you know i mean we can intellectually uh, kind of just reduce it all to concepts and ideas you know and there and there's no emotion involved 
we just intellectually understand, you know, yeah, God died for us, and hey, that's great, you know, thank you, Lord, and we really appreciate the blessing, but we don't feel any of the passion. And this is the Passion Week. I mean, can you imagine Jesus in that moment breaking the bread and saying, this is my body, they're about to break me, lifting up the cup, this is my blood, it's about to be spilled for you, and then putting on the robes of a servant and proceeding to wash the feet of his disciples, knowing he was about to be stripped naked and torn to pieces with the whips, be pounded in the face with a rod, a crown of thorns was going to be pounded into his head, and the last thing on his mind before he goes and faces our judgment is he's washing our feet. And he said, you're not going to understand this now, but later you will begin to understand. And when you do, go and wash each other's feet. And I dare say, I don't think we understand this yet. You know, because I, I don't think we comprehend what the Lord meant when he said, when we finally understand, we'll go, we'll wash one another's feet. You know, the church hasn't made it there yet, but, but brother, that day is coming when we will no longer stand in judgment of one another, and we will no longer stand in the deception and the, and really the iniquity of pride, no longer judge each other. Rather, we will bend down as servants to one another, and we will wash the feet of our brothers and sisters, and we will restore them to the righteousness of the kingdom. And finally, the unity of the kingdom of God will be found in the remnant, brother, and that's what's coming forth in the day that is about to begin. But I, you know, I think of the Lord saying, with great desire, I looked forward to this Passover. In the, in the word in the Greek, and I'm not, I'm not particularly good at reading Greek, but it's epithumea, and it means a longing, you know, a, an intense desire. Jesus had been looking forward to his last meal with his disciples before his, he himself would become the sacrifice. And, you know, in the Passover was given to the people by the commandment of God, of course, in the time of Moses, right before the deliverance in Egypt. And, and the text in Scripture is in Ezekiel chapter 12, if you guys are listening and you want to open your Bible to, pardon me, it's Exodus 12, verse 11. And um, in the Scripture reads, And thus you shall eat with your loins girded, shoes on your feet, the staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste, for this is the Lord's Passover. And of course, the, the deliverance from Egypt was about to occur, you know, and, and, and a type and a shadow of our deliverance from sin was enacted in the very first Passover where the lamb was slain, and we all know the blood was put on the doors. And if you, if you were to come out of the house... The judgment would come on you. You had to stay under the blood that you could be protected in the judgment that was coming. But the Lord wanted the people to be ready because things were going to change quickly. Following the Passover, they were leaving. You know, and it's a type and a shadow of 
a future Passover that's also going to bring about a rapid, a quick change in the lives of the people of God. And, you know, so we too need to be ready. Our loins have to be girded with the belt of truth. Our shoes on our feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. The staff in our hand, it needs to be the staff of the authority of the Lord and the staff of the power of his word. And we need to be ready to go. When the Lord says it's time to go, we need to be ready to go, brothers, because God's about to pass through our land, even as he passed through the land of Egypt in that night, roughly this point, I think it was 3,500 years ago, give or take. And the judgment came on the firstborn, both man and beast. And the Lord said, and I'm going to judge all of the gods of Egypt, and I will execute my judgment, for I am the Lord. And he is the Lord. He's the master of the nations. He alone stirs the wind and it causes the waves of humanity to rise up. He lifts men up. He puts men down. He lifts up nations. He judges them, and they are no more. And when God moves, he moves quickly through the course of history. And we better be ready to move with him, brother. Now, I think of in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, again, the Passover is mentioned. In verse 10, and you now this is really awesome. I mean, the people have come out. You know, Moses has now died. And, you know, Moses, of course, wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land. And I think, you know, that, that there was more than just the fact that Moses made one mistake. You know, he hit the rock twice. Okay, those, those little Israel children, I think they vexed our poor brother Moses, you know, continually for years and you know he was a patient man but everybody's patience reaches an end and, and so Moses hit the rock twice right and the Lord you know had told Moses once God actually means what he says and so Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land but I really think the reason is far deeper than just a single mistake, a single moment where Moses acted presumptuously out of his frustration with those people that had no doubt worn his patience thin. And I think really the picture for all of us is you can't enter into the promises of God through the law of Moses. We're not getting there with the old covenant people. You know, of course, Joshua, Yahashua, is a type or a derivative of the name of Jesus. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people who don't speak Hebrew, but, you know, want to try to pretend that they still know something about the language. And so they've offered a lot of uh, alternative names for the name of the Lord in Hebrew. And I can tell you that his name is Jesus. In English, you guys already knew that, and, and you know, it's every much his name as his name in Hebrew, which is Yeshua. But Yahashua, which is Joshua, is a synonym or a derivative. But, you know, just as a footnote for you guys, if you know, 
I personally think people that don't know Hebrew should stick to the languages that they understand. That's just my opinion. Um, or go learn the language that they're trying to, um, to use. But if you're praying in the name of Yahashua, you know, I mean, technically you're praying in the name of Joshua. Now, I don't know, maybe the Lord, you know, passes over that little mistake uh, because you intended to pray in Jesus' name. But, you know, this is a time where we really want to get things right with the Lord. The law is not going to save us. Moses never was allowed into the land because the, the law isn't going to open the door to the land. The Passover lamb is the Lord, and it's his Passover. You know, in Exodus, we're told that it's the Lord's Passover. He's the Passover lamb, and he's the door of our salvation. You know, brother, I, I love the, the reference in Joshua, Yahashua, chapter 5. Verse 10, And the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover in the plains of Jericho. I just think, man, what an awesome sight that would have been. Those of you guys who've been to Jericho, and you've been in the West Bank, and you know you can picture in your mind what the plains of Jericho looked like. Can you imagine several million Israelites? They've just now entered the land, and they're keeping Passover, the plain of Jericho. It is absolutely awesome. Praise God. The Lord mentions the Passover himself in, in several of the Gospels, but I just want to look at Matthew at the moment. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 2, you know, the Lord was saying to his disciples, you know that after two days, will come the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to be crucified. You know, the amazing thing is, the disciples, they never did comprehend what the Lord was saying. Many times he told them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of evil men, and they're going to scourge me, and they're going to kill me, and on the third day, I'm going to raise, I'll be raised from the dead, and the disciples would be like, what's he talking about? You know, they couldn't perceive it because they didn't want to perceive. It was, it was too much for them to comprehend that their Lord, their King, their God would be taken from them and that the, Jesus himself would be tortured and beaten and ultimately murdered. But death wouldn't keep him down. But so the disciples understood none of these things until they were fulfilled. And, you know, and going on in Matthew... In verse 18, Jesus said, Go into the city to such an, a man and say unto him, The master says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover in your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus commanded them. And they made ready the Passover. You know, no reference of who that man was. But had we been alive in that time, what a blessing. Would you not love it if the disciples came to your house? The Lord has said he's going to have his Passover. His time is at hand, and he's going to keep the Passover of his salvation in your house tonight. Hallelujah. 
Let's get busy. Let's make ready for the Lord who wants to keep the Passover in your heart tonight. We have that opportunity to let the Lord keep the Passover in our lives or not. Or not. You know, I think of that word, you know, Pesach um, in Hebrew, which is Passover. And, and Frank, you know what's so amazing, brother? That word no. actually means an exemption. To be exempt. Yeah, Pesach is, it's like, you know, you got your draft deferment. And our judgment has been rendered, but, but you've been pardoned. It's an exemption from the judgment. The rest of the world has been numbered, weighed in the balances, and found wanting on the scales of the justice of heaven. And then your life, the justice, the judgment of the justice of God, the plumb line of God is laid out over your life. And then, and all heaven says, wait, stop. The exemption, the blood of the exemption is on the forehead of this one. Exempt from the judgment, you've already been deemed righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus. You will not be found in the balances and found wanting. Rather, price has been paid in full, and you are exempt from the judgment that will follow. Praise God, brother. Amen. The Lord wants to keep the Passover at our house. Are we going to make ready? The disciples went and they made ready for the Passover. Are we going to make our hearts ready? What are we going to do in response to the king who died for you and died for me? What are we going to do when it's our time that is at hand? Because that time's coming soon. Praise God. So, Frank, amen. This is the Passover week. We're in the season, the Passion Week. You know, and... And the Lord is looking for a response from us. You know, when you consider the passion that the Lord poured out, He was sweating blood in that Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord knew what He was facing, and it was coming nigh upon Him. It was going to be that night. They were going to be beating Him. They were going to be putting a, a a bag, a cloth garment over his face so he couldn't see, and then they were going to punch him and hit him with a rod in the face until you couldn't recognize him anymore. They were going to pound a crown of thorns into his head. They were going to beat him to nearly an inch of his, of his life with a whip of, of the nine cattails. And then they were going to nail him to a cross. in open shame for our guilt. You know what's amazing, Frank, is the number of medical experts have sort of studied the, the crucifixion and they've studied, you know, these events. And, and um, from the blood, from the oil and the water that came out when they pierced his heart after he had died, there's medical evidence that what the Lord actually died from was not the beatings or the, or the lacerations, the intense tearing of the muscle tissue and the bone fragments and the tearing of his flesh. It was not the nails that were pounded into him. It was a broken heart. His 
heart ultimately ruptured. The Lord died from a broken heart, brothers and sisters. As all of our sin was poured out upon him. And, you know, I think the Lord knew he was going to, he was going to have to take the sin of the earth. You know, that was not something that, you know, was was hidden from Jesus. The Father had already revealed that to the Lord. But my, this is just my opinion. I don't have any scripture for this. It's just how I feel. You can dismiss it if you want and form your own opinion. But I really think that on the cross, as the Lord was literally, the, the curses and the and the sins were being poured upon him, and as he was literally paying the full judgment for the sin of humanity and for the sin of his people, I think the Lord also was given insight into the fact so few of his people would even respond to his sacrifice. The, the, the apathy of the church, the fact that so many who he died for didn't even care enough to stop and think, what should I do for this king that did everything for me? I mean, I think the Lord was heart, he was broken hearted over the response of the people. Because when you consider everything he did for us, anything less than a 100% commitment to him is inadequate, in my opinion. It ain't going to cut it. It's going to look pretty stupid on Judgment Day, too. I mean, people, you know, we're going to be sitting there saying, what were we thinking? We best repent and return to the Lord with all of our might, with all of our heart, and with all of our strength, and with all of our soul. Anything less than total commitment to the Lord is simply inadequate when you consider what the Lord did for you. You know, and I hear people, well, you know, Benjamin, I just really, you know, it's just too hard for me to fast. You know, I, I, I just can't, you know, that little hunger pain, you know, I mean, my little tummy, you know, I got to feed that little God, you know. I got to serve that belly of mine. You know, the people whose God is their belly, typically that God grows big. We are all going to be so ashamed if we don't if we don't respond appropriately in this hour, the final hour before the judgment of God begins. You know, uh, those of us whose eyes have been opened, if we don't respond appropriately, we will have no excuse on that day when we will give an account for what we did in the light of what we had received from the Lord and in light of what we knew and understood. You know, and for those of you who your eyes are fully open, we are going to be... God expects from us more. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And those of us who, who are awake, and we are born again, and we are spirit-filled, and we know the time, we have been given everything. And unto us, the Lord is looking for a great return on his investment because he invested his entire life in us and he's looking for a similar, a similar response from his people. Hallelujah. 
you know, Benjamin, amen. Thank I had, you for the Passover, Lord. Hey, amen. Benjamin, I had um, Barry Schwartz on the program uh, a year or so ago and on the Shroud of Turin, and it was powerful. He was one of the original investigators, went over with the NASA team, a literal, you know, natural-born Jew, uh, total skeptic. Um, took him years, but finally what convinced him that that was definitely Jesus of Nazareth was he, it was the blood for years that kept him. He couldn't believe that that blood would still be red and not brown. And finally, one of the scientists spoke to him and said, listen, the reason the blood is red is because it excreted something called bilirubin. And there's another technical name for it, too. He said that keeps the blood red, and that only happens when somebody is under extreme torture. And that changed that man's wow. heart and convinced him that that was beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus of Nazareth. So my thing is, what, what did the Lord pay? Well, according to the Word of God, He took the worst beating in Isaiah 52, worse than any man, so bad that it actually marred His visage, meaning it changed His appearance is how bad He was beaten. Extreme right, torture. Thank, saying thank you sounds... It's absurd. Yeah. To give him lip service when he served us with his very life is absurd. It's ridiculous. It will be rejected. It's like the 30 pieces of silver where the Lord said, this is the great price with which they valued me. You know, the Lord is worth more than 30 pieces of silver. He owns the universe. And yet, that's about the response that, you know, he most, well, let me say, there's a number of believers, their response to what the Lord has done for them is about the same, you know. Well, I put a couple pieces of silver in the, in the collection plate at church. I mean, isn't that enough? The great price. I went twice a year on Passover, whatever, Ishtar, whatever they do, and... Christmas, you know, right. I went. To, I'm, thanks, Lord. See you in see in six months. We're we're so easily so blinded, but you know, praise God, brother. You know, there is a remnant that's going to respond with their whole heart. There is a true church out there who they love the Lord, and they're willing to go all the way with Jesus. Amen. And there are people who love Him with all of their hearts, and and. Um, and we're ready to go all in with the Lord, which is what the Lord's, what the Lord is working, what He did all of this for with that little remnant. So, so Frank, would, the new book, um, Volume Four, which Amen, is is yeah. almost finished. It's we're waiting. Tell literally, us about it. I'm, I am prayerfully working diligently, and I, it is my intention to have it published on. The feast day of first fruit, which is Sunday. I'm shooting for Sunday. Maybe it'll end up on Monday, but this book is going to be up within a matter of days. And and brother, if you if you'd like, I could re I could share just a little bit from it. Please, brother, go ahead. Do we do we have a little bit more time? Yeah, go ahead. Please share the title too with us. Okay. Uh, the the title of the book is. Um, search the scriptures, volume four, I am the door. 
And um, you know how the Lord saved the best wine for last at the wedding feast? Yes. And the Lord is apparently doing the same thing with these books, because, brother, I can't wait to read this book. I mean, obviously I've been reading it in pieces, but I'm just looking forward to the final the final text so I can sit down and read it through. Um, but I'm going to share a few things for you. Um, and I'm just going to start with the beginning of the coming day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye were sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, verse 30. A new day is rapidly approaching our world. And a time of great change is coming very soon upon the earth. The final moments of twilight pass quickly as the last vestiges of the fading lights are overwhelmed by the growing darkness which marks the actual birth of each new day. A time of twilight is already falling upon the West as the light of truth is being extinguished by the gathering darkness which is now covering the entire earth. The lies and the deceptions of the evil one have all but extinguished the testimony of truth in the nations which were once enlightened by the word of God. Isaiah 60, verse 2. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the minds of the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. The Hebrew word in this text for deep darkness is arafel. And it translates a time of gloom, or a lowering of the sky. A time of gross and deep darkness. A time of fear Anxiety and deep depression is now coming upon the world. And a lowering of the sky, described as a sky fall, is a vivid picture of the dark ones who are about to be cast down upon the earth. The darkness which is now settling upon the nations is a harbinger of the great trial of fire that will soon be revealed in the awesome and fearsome day of the Lord, which is about to begin. The burning of the Notre Dame Cathedral, perhaps the most renowned building in Western civilization, and the iconic symbol of Western Christianity, is an omen of what is to come. It is as if God himself is warning us in the most unmistakable way that Western Christianity is now burning right before our eyes, and with it, Western civilization as well. The warnings from heaven will end soon, and then the judgment fire of Almighty God will be released as a whirlwind is poured out upon the nations with all of its fury. For the wicked, the day which is dawning will bring only darkness and woe, filled with the fiery judgment of Almighty God. But for the righteous, this new day will dawn with healing and redemption in its wings. The apostates must decide which destiny they will choose, for the outer court of compromise is about to be burned to the ground. Hallelujah. The Lord is calling his remnant out of the darkness in this last time, and he's bidding his people to come out from among the compromised, who gather together within the outer court, which is now full of only sin. This is where the great apostasy has come within the house of God. Yet many refuse to leave the camp of the rebellious ones, for they are too busy seeking their pleasures or their fortunes in Babylon. 
or too busy walking after the desires of their own hearts and doing that which is right in their own eyes, to even hear or seek the Lord. So the Lord has left many churches which have now fallen so far from his truth to search for his little remnant and to bid whoever would come, yet only the brokenhearted, the outcasts, and the ones who were rejected by the many, only they have responded. For they are the little flock of the Father, chosen by God as his remnant in this final hour, for they are the only ones who were willing to come. Truly the last shall be first, and the first shall now be found last. Ours is the last generation, and the remnant among us are the least of the saints. Yet their names have been written in heaven in what God calls his book of life. The remnant are similar to King David, who was passed over by his father when Samuel told Jesse, Assemble all of your sons. David was not even deemed worthy to appear among his brothers. He was Jesse's youngest and smallest son, and he wasn't even considered to be presented before the prophet of God. Yet it was David who had been chosen and would be anointed as king. So the last son became the first among his brethren that day. In this last generation, the greater part of the revelation of Jesus Christ is about to be unveiled, and it will be first revealed within a remnant of his saints, who, like David, would never be considered by men for this honor. Yet the glory of God coming forth in this time will be first seen upon a remnant coming forth out of the wilderness. The ones whom God has chosen to bear the revelation of Jesus Christ and to carry an anointing without measure are not great people of faith. Rather, they are among the least of the saints. They're the broken and afflicted ones who, like King David, were first refused and rejected of men. The remnant are those whom God has already emptied out. For when the call of the Spirit came forth from heaven, everyone else was too full of themselves to even hear the word of the Lord. Only the ones who were already poured out, emptied of self and of all pride, only they could even hear the call from heaven's throne. Hallelujah. You'd find a, a skip forward here and, and find another section where I can share just a little bit. Um, yeah, okay. Another paragraph or two. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ was given unto St. John to show us those things which must shortly come to pass. And John bore witness of the Word of God, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things which he saw, the final revelation of Jesus Christ will be first revealed through the messengers of the covenant, who will come forth as the forerunners of Jesus Christ, at the start of the great and awesome day of the Lord. They will inherit the prophetic mantle of God within their very lives. Having been anointed as both kings and priests before the throne of God, they will be revealed to the world in the fullness of the power of God and His Son Jesus. And before these two witnesses, the nations will stand trembling in fear. Hallelujah. As of this day, the remnant church is not yet visible upon the earth. 
Rather, it remains hidden in the wilderness, set apart and separate from the mainstream churches, which have all fallen into the great apostasy which was prophesied to come. The visible church's profession of faith has been found light and frivolous when weighed in the balances of God's judgment. Thus, they have all been rejected by the Supreme Judge, and out of their rejection and in their place shall come forth a new and glorious people, the remnant of God. And the word for lightness in Scripture is pak azuth, and it means frivolity. It comes from the word pakaz, which means to bubble up, froth, of that which is unimportant, meaningless, or worthless. And that's literally God's judgment of the apostate churches. They're worthless. The false gospel they teach is meaningless. It's a deception. It's an outrage. Hallelujah. The most prophetic generation of all time will soon be raised up by the Most High God, and they will deliver God's remnant people by the force of spiritual arms. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent shall take it by force. For the end of the age shall witness the final conclusion of the great battle. Hell itself will be unleashed, as will the opening of the abyss, while the men who are of the earth shall be turned utterly over to the darkness that shall come. And in the midst, in the midst of this most trying of times, the light from heaven will shine forth, for the revelation of Jesus Christ shall now be complete. The anointed remnant will walk through this darkness with the power from on high, through which they will overcome the forces of the Antichrist and deliver the people of God. And within this company, the Lord will raise up certain head persons to bear the first office, these being ones who have been highly favored of the king, and the dread and the fear of them shall fall upon the nations because of the mighty power of the Holy One that will rest upon them. The coming of these anointed ones, who will appear full of the power of the Lord, was prophesied in the writings of Zechariah, in which his anointed servants will be described by the prophet is the branch that shall now be revealed. So praise God. I'm kind of excited, um, looking forward to the book being completed, hopefully within the coming days. There are four chapters. It seems to be the way that um, these books keep getting done. The first chapter is the coming day of redemption. The second chapter is from the Lion of Judah message. The ch third chapter is the door. And the fourth part is the Church of Laodicea, Frank. So, you know, the book is about to be released. And, you know, it's my prayer that it would go forth and open the eyes of God's people, all those who've been appointed to be part of the remnant at this time. So, brother, amen, I, brother. I'm, I'm going to give you my first impression of the opening. That's the first time I've heard it of that book. That's not a torch, brother. That's a blowtorch. Um, oh, I know. That's, that's what book, I call the book opening you away, brother. Of a it, book. You know, I'm reading it. I'm getting blown away. I'm sitting here weeping reading this book. It is so powerful. I don't know if it's just me, but I've shared some of it with a few of my friends, and they're like, "Brother, this is exploding. These words are dynamite words." 
So I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do with this book, Frank, because the whole thing is just, I mean, it's literally like the, like a preamble to the day of the Lord, Frank. But anyway, I'm glad you liked the um, the opening that I shared. Amen. Hey, brother, you when this comes out, if it does get out on First Fruits or on Sunday or Monday, how's the best way for people to get this book? Well, it's going to be uploaded on Amazon, and the best way is to just go on Amazon.com and just type in Benjamin Baruch, and and all the books will come up, and um, you'll find uh, Volume 4, I Am the Door. But I would encourage people, if they've never read the Search the Scripture series, you know, you might want to get the first one out of the darkness because that's a pretty powerful word unto itself. I mean, you know, in, in all candor, the Lord has been blessing this work, and it's accomplishing a good result. And You know, the, the important thing about the fact these books are being reduced to a written summary of the Word or the teachings that have come forth by the Holy Spirit, the important thing for people to remember there's going to come a point in time where all of the audio messages that are currently on the internet, they're going to all the Christian content's going to be deleted. And so, you know, as we're going through the final seven years of history, and you know, we're walking through the tribulation period, and we, if you make it as far as the camp of the remnant in the wilderness, in the place of refuge for the woman that flees, we're not going to have the internet. There won't be any way to listen to the YouTubes, but these books will make it there. And, you know, I'm going to be blessed to, to you know, see copies of the Search the Scriptures books that will have made it all the way to the end of the tribulation. And I'm sure they'll be well-worn at that point because the remnant are going to be sharing these, passing them around. People will be reading these books during the Great Tribulation period, you know, as an encouragement to the remnant of God as an encouragement to the people of God. And, and so, you know, to the extent... Now, some people can't read, you know, for whatever reason. They, they just are not really comfortable reading. Well, you know, in which case, obviously, these books won't do you any good. But for people that can read, um, you might want to have these in your go bag. Because, brothers and sisters, when this thing starts, the average person is going to be tempted to become afraid and it's going to be really helpful to have anointed teachings that will minister peace and, and, and hope and faith to the remnant. Because, you know, if you're in the remnant of God, you, you don't need to become afraid. Now, the nations are going to be terrified. That they're going to be trembling before the manifestations of the Lord and before the judgment that's been decreed. They'll tremble before the, the anointed leadership of the Lord. But the, to the remnant, you know, the Lord says to them, do not fear. Be anxious for nothing and don't be afraid. And, you know, and he's already said, I will protect that which is mine. And when the Lord says something, you can count on it. Because he's the God that is faithful and true. But, you know, I'm very excited to see what, you know, God will do with this book. Um, you know, once they're published and I actually get the physical book in my hand... I'll, I'll sit down and I'll read it, you know, in, in, in its paper form. And um, honestly, I've read Out of the Darkness, I don't know, five times, ten times. Every time I read that book, Frank, I weep. I mean, it, you know, it convicts me. It, it turns my heart back to the Lord. You know, it 
challenges me to to make an even greater commitment to the king. And, you know, at, at this point in history, with the judgment of Almighty God about to begin, and every one of us, our commitment to the Lord should be 100%. You know, that doesn't mean we don't have other um, chores or responsibilities. You know, we, you know, we've got jobs and, you know, we've got kids and we have to take care of the, the day-to-day things of our life. But I'm talking about the commitment of our heart. You know, n- you know not everybody can devote you know, the majority of their time to, to the study of Scripture and, and to prayer like I can because the Lord, you know, separated me from everything and stuck me out in the middle of the wilderness and pretty much all I have is my prayer loft and my Bible, and, you know, and, and I am content and some awesome worship music. Um, but, you know, I'm just... Don't let Satan rob you, brothers and sisters. Don't let him steal your crown. Don't let him steal the reward that each one of us will receive for having run this race with all the passion that is within us. You know, put all of your love and all of your passion to the things of God and then equip yourself with the teachings and the messages that come forth out of heaven. And God bless you all for listening. Amen. 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 God bless you. And folks, if you want to know about the Camp of the Remnant, what's going to happen... Um, you, there's a program you need to go back and listen to. It's in the archives on the Remnant Call. Go on YouTube. You can check it out. Called the Second Exodus. And brothers and sisters, God has a plan for His remnant during the time of tribulation. And uh, so please check that program out, brother. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing, folks. We are moving into the Passover season, and it is a time to remember what the Lord has done. And what do we do? How do we say thank you to the Lord? We serve Him with all of our heart. We do what He asks us. Because He gave everything. And that's the least we could do. God bless each one of you. Thank you so much. God bless you, Brother Benjamin. This is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin Brooke on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God.